0: Well, whether this is your first time here with us or whether you've been attending since this church began about four years ago, I'm thankful you're here today on Easter Sunday. At this time in our worship each week, we turn our hearts and our attention directly to the Bible, to the very words of the living God. And today, not surprisingly, on Easter Sunday, I want to put our focus on the death and especially the resurrection of Jesus. Now, it is, it is true, of course, that every day is a good day to remember that Jesus Christ is risen. Certainly, we sing about this, and we rejoice in this every Sunday here at RBC. But on Easter Sunday, of all Sundays, it is good to remember in a heightened way this one life-altering, world-changing truth, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Now, in your bulletin, if you have it, you'll find the five main verses we're going to be looking at today. You can look in your Bible if you want. It's in the first part of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians. And the reason I picked this short text today is that what Paul says in these just few verses about Jesus is really the heart of everything Christianity is about. In fact, what this one little text says about Jesus is a summary of, of the one message that this church here is built on and truly what the entire Christian church has been built on from its very earliest days. And and here's some more what I mean by that. See, this, this letter to the Galatians is probably the second New Testament document ever written, and it is the Apostle Paul's first letter that he wrote that's in the Scriptures. That means that this letter was written within 20 years of the day when Jesus of Nazareth was crucified by Roman soldiers on a hill just outside Jerusalem. So this is as ancient of a written source as you can find about Jesus and about what the very earliest Christians saw about him and believed about him from the very first days. Well, what did they see and what did they believe? Let's look at the text. And what we're going to read, this is actually just a greeting. So this is more or less Paul saying hello to the churches in Galatia, which is in modern day Turkey. Churches that he had just started himself about one year before he writes the letter. And I think it's safe to say that we have probably never gotten a hello in a letter like this one. So let's read Galatians 1 verses 1 through 5. Can it's in your bulletin or you can look at the text. Its Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. And God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our god and father to whom be the glory forever and ever amen now that is quite the hello now typically in letters like this one at this time you would expect to find in the greeting a lot about the guy writing the letter and a lot about the people getting the letter but it's interesting in this greeting Did you notice you find out very little about the guy writing it or the people receiving it? It's almost all about Jesus. But still, it's a good idea for us to remember a few basic things about this letter, because maybe you've never seen it before. Okay, So first, Paul is the guy who wrote the letter. That's why his name's first. That's how they used to do it. He calls himself an apostle. What he means by that is simply that he's he's one of the very first people that God specifically called to go and tell the world about Jesus. And by the time he's writing this, he's been doing that for over 15 years. He's been traveling around from place to place, often in the face of great danger, just to tell people about Jesus. In fact, one year before he wrote this letter to Galatia, he was there in Galatia telling people who had never heard about Jesus about Jesus and doing this if you read the stories about it it nearly cost him his life but by the time he left these cities had churches churches full of people who had given up their gods and their old sinful ways to get behind a new lord a new king a Jewish man named Jesus Second, Paul knows that at the very time he's writing this letter, these new churches that he loves and risked his life for are in serious danger of turning away from Jesus. There have been people who've snuck in and have been trying to lead these new Jesus followers away from Jesus. And so when Paul writes this letter, He is, let's just say, less than happy if you read this letter. Now, third, so Paul makes sure to tell them that he's not writing this letter by himself, that he's not alone in what he's saying. Did you notice that? He doesn't usually say this. Look at verse 2. Did you see that? He says, and all the brothers who are with me are sending this along. See, what Paul says in this letter isn't just what Paul thinks. This is what they all say. Now, what is it that they all say and they all see about Jesus? Let's see for ourselves. Look at verse, look at verse one again. And now I want to look back at those verses and I just want you to see what it says about Jesus. So verse one, Paul says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now, did you see how how closely Paul links the man Jesus with God the Father? This is the very first letter he wrote that's in our Bibles. And he says, I've been called by Jesus and God the Father. Then look down in verse 3. And you'll see the same thing. Verse 3 says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that. Jesus lived just a few years before this. And yet his followers are already linking him directly with God the Father as if they're equals. Second, did you see how Paul describes Jesus as the Christ, in that first verse. Now now Christ, just so we're clear, is not Jesus' last name. The word Christ, or the word Messiah, is a title. This is Paul's way of saying that that lowly, humble, Jewish man, Jesus of Nazareth, was the promised Messiah that the whole Bible was pointing to. It's his way of saying that Jesus is the one great king the whole world's been waiting for. Third, did you you notice the other title in verse 3 that he gives to Jesus? He doesn't just call him the Christ. What does he call him in verse 3? He calls Jesus the Lord. Now, in the Roman world at this time, how many lords were there? There was only one Lord in the Roman world. Who was it? Caesar. This is what it meant to even be a Roman, was to confess, Caesar is Lord. And when Paul says this, the Roman emperor is still sitting on his throne. And yet what if Paul and all these brothers with him come to see already about Jesus? Jesus is Lord. Unless we think that was a small thing, to claim that, just remember that soon after this, that confession would cost Christians their lives. Lastly, did you notice in that very first line of the letter that Paul says something very interesting about Jesus? Just look at it again, and you've got to think about it. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus. <clears throat> now, what do you make out of that? Not from men nor through a man, but through Jesus. I mean, just think about this, for example. What if I told you that earlier this morning I had coffee? Not with men, nor with a man, but with Phil. <laughs> You'd be like, that sounds strange. Or was, was that like a, a joke? I'm not sure. What, are you ridiculing him? Like, what, what does that even mean? to say that. Why would we be confused? Because Phil is a man, right? So why would you say that? Yet Paul seems to be distinguishing Jesus from all other men. His call isn't from men nor through a man. It's, It's through Jesus. Now, just to be clear, Paul is not saying Jesus is not a man. After all, that is what Christmas is all about, and Paul liked Christmas, too. But what is he saying? Jesus is more than a mere man. He's no ordinary man. Who is he? He is the Christ. He is the world's one true Lord. He is the Son of God. Now, now here's the question. Is, is that good news or bad news for us? Well, I guess the answer to that depends a lot on the kind of person Jesus is. I mean, if if Jesus is a bad king or if he's a brutal tyrant like the Lord over in Rome, then this is bad news. Perhaps the only thing we could do in that case is try to run and hide. But what if he's not like that at all? Well, that'd be better. But what kind of person is Jesus? What kind of king is he? The answer to that can be found starting in verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. Focus on Jesus. in it. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a good sign because what comes from Jesus to us is the same kind of things that come from God the Father to us. What Jesus brings is grace and peace, kindness and rest. But that's only the beginning. The best news about what Jesus is like is what we find in verse 4. Look at verse 4. It says, the Lord Jesus gave himself for our sins. That's the kind of king you want. One who would give himself up. This is what the earliest Jesus followers saw about Jesus. And they never got over this. That Jesus gave himself up for us. Now, just to make sure we're on the same page, when Paul says Jesus gave himself, what's he talking about? He's talking specifically about how Jesus gave up his life. He's talking about how Jesus, the king, laid down his life for his people. Put more plainly, Paul is thinking specifically about the cross. Second, notice that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for our sins. He did not give himself up for us because we were good, or because we deserved that kind of treatment. He gave himself because we were not good, and even though we did not deserve it. This is the story of the Bible. It's not that we work our way up to God, but rather that God comes down to us to rescue us, to do for us what we cannot do, Third, when Paul says that Jesus gave himself, he is emphasizing that Jesus died willingly. Or to put that another way, Jesus did not die because he had to. He chose to lay down his life for you. And let me ask you, what what do you think Paul and the earliest Christians saw in that? They saw in that a love that was deeper than anything they had ever known. Later in the same letter, that's why Paul will say, Christ loved me and gave himself for me. Or as Jesus would say himself, he would, before he died he said, look friends, no man has any greater love than this, than that he would lay down his life for his friends. What captured the imaginations and what laid hold of the hearts of the earliest Jesus followers was the love they saw in the voluntary sacrifice of Jesus for them. Then lastly, on this, I want you to see as clearly as you can why Jesus laid down his life like this. What does it say in verse 4 again? It says, Jesus gave himself... For our sins. That is to say, Jesus did not die for his sins. Because he didn't have any. Now, Jesus gave up his life for our sins. He was our substitute. And then what does verse 4 say right after that? Jesus gave himself for our sins. Why? To deliver us from the present evil age. Jesus saw us better than maybe we even see ourselves. He saw not only that we were sinners, but also that we were slaves to this evil age. In other words, Jesus saw that we were hopeless and helpless. So he came to us and he lived here with us and he died there for us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He died to pay the penalty for our sins and to rescue us from this present evil age. He did not do what he did for you to be an add-on to life as you already know it. Jesus did what he did to dramatically and permanently change our lives so that we now no longer even belong to this age anymore. He died to deliver it, deliver us from it, and to make us citizens of the age to come. And notice the last part of verse 4. All that Jesus did was according to the will of our God and Father, which is to say Jesus came here specifically to accomplish the mission his Father gave him. And this brings us to our final big question today. Did Jesus accomplish the mission? And I want to ask a follow-up to that. And that is, how would we know? Do you know the answer to that? How can we know if Jesus actually accomplished the mission his father sent him to do? It it all has to do with what God did to Jesus after Jesus offered up his life for us to God. If God abandoned Jesus to the grave... Jesus was a fraud and a failure. That would be God's testimony to us. Jesus is not who he said he was. But is that what God did to Jesus after he died? The answer is in the very first verse of the letter. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. What did God the Father do to Jesus after Jesus breathed his last on the cross? Answer, on the third day, on Easter Sunday, God raised Jesus from the dead. God did not abandon his son to the grave. He did not let his Holy One see corruption. No, God the Father raised Jesus visibly, in history, bodily, from the dead. And this is exactly how the earliest Christians talked about what happened on Easter. Sometimes it is true, they would say, Jesus rose from the dead, and that is true. Jesus conquered death. But do you realize that far and away, the way that the earliest Christians described what happened on Easter is this. They would say the resurrection is something God the Father did to Jesus. Just like Paul says here, they would say, God raised him from the dead. This is what Jesus predicted in the Gospels. He said to his disciples, before it happened, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer there, and I'm going to be killed, and I will be raised In Acts, this is how those same disciples preached about this and explained it to people. They would say things like Peter said, This Jesus, who was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. And then he would say, He was not abandoned to the realm of the dead. Nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus God raised up, and of this we are all witnesses and this is exactly how Paul explained the heart of the Christian gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he was and that he was seen by many people and st- you see we this is what I'm getting at. We like to sing on Easter Sunday. Jesus Christ arose, and we should sing it. That's great. The Bible certainly does talk that way, but that is actually not the most common way it describes Easter. Not even close. Instead, if you ask Peter or Paul or any of the earliest followers of Jesus, what happened on Easter? Here's the response you'd be much more likely to hear. Instead of them saying Jesus Christ arose, they would say Jesus Christ was raised or even more directly, they would say, what happened on Easter is God the Father reached down and raised his son from the dead. That's what happened on Easter morning, and why does that matter? Why am I even emphasizing this? Among the many things I could say, here's what I hope you'll remember today. Easter Sunday is God the Father's own testimony to all of us that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, that Jesus is God's son, And that he is both Lord and Savior. You see, on on Friday, Jesus was rejected by religious leaders. He was cast off even by his own people. He was crucified like a rebellious criminal by the Romans. And what were they all saying on Friday? In effect, they were all saying the same thing You are not the one we want. You are certainly not the one you claim to be. But on Easter Sunday, what did God say to all of them? He said, you were wrong. Jesus was always in the right. And the ultimate proclamation of this to us is that God raised him from the dead. This is what Easter saw. And so if you're here today and you have not yet given yourself fully in faith to the one who gave himself for you, I want to call you this day to repent of how you failed to honor God and of how you failed to live for Jesus so far. And I want to share with you this good news that if, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord And if you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can go home today forgiven with not one sin left to pay for. You can go home knowing that what God declared about Jesus on Easter Sunday, God will declare about you too someday. You are in the right with me. And if God does that, if he says that about any of us, it will not be because of what we've done. It'll be in spite of what we've done. Well, I'll be saying that's only because I'm connected to that guy, to Jesus. That's the only way I'll ever get a righteous verdict is if I'm connected to him. And then in the end, whether you're hearing this news about Jesus for the first time, for the thousandth time, where should it lead us all? in the end. Did you notice how this little greeting closes? And what else can we say in the end but what Paul says in the last verse of our text when he thinks about this and he says, to him be the glory forever and ever. When we reflect on what Jesus has done for us, what God the Father has done for us in Jesus, Where should it always lead? On the one hand, I say it should always lead us to humility. Because who are we? And on the other hand, it should always lead us to worship. And to say things like, not unto us. Not unto us. But to him. Be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, would you take these words, this precious gospel that has been preached all over the world for nearly 2,000 years. Would you take this, what what I have sought to proclaim, this same message that was on the lips of the earliest followers of Jesus. Would you take it and would you drive it home by your spirit into our hearts? And would you produce new life on this Easter Sunday, would you raise the dead through the preaching of your word today? And Lord, would you strengthen the living to run, to keep believing, and would you stir our hope for that great day still to come when all those connected to Jesus will one day rise just like him? to be with you forever in the new heavens and the new earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.